Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the intern whisperer and the founder of Employers for Change. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change. And today's tip of the week is about gender bias. We want to thank BuiltIn.com for these tips that we share every week for the past, I don't know, I think it's 10 weeks about unconscious bias. So what is gender bias? It's the tendency to prefer one gender over another. We all know that we would have a preference whether we're going to work with male or female. Too often men are given preferential treatment over women in the workplace. And according to Lean In's Women in the Workplace study, women only occupy 25% of the C-suite executive positions. And for every 100 men that are promoted from entry level to manager roles, only 87 women are promoted. So how do we avoid gender bias? Well, one way is by conducting, you've heard it every week now, anonymous screenings of applications that exclude aspects of a candidate that may reveal their assumed gender, like names and interests. And you know, you want it to be blind as much as possible. So to set diversity hiring goals, you need to ensure that your company holds itself accountable to equitable hiring practices. And again, make sure to compare candidates based on skills, power skills, and merit rather than traits that can cloud your judgment. Just make sure that you're being as, as ethical as possible in selecting the candidates that should be representing your company. Thank you. All right. So welcome to the Intern Whisper. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. And today's guest, a little fanfare, <laughs> is Latoya Hodge, the former global head of marketing at Capfinity, a leading provider of behavioral insights and talent solutions for organizations worldwide. She was previously to that, the head of marketing and partnerships at the same company and guided the expansion brand positioning and marketing communications for enterprise buyers in the U.S. and Americas. She is a charter member of CMO Huddle, so we've got to hear more about that. That just sounds like so warm and comforting, a world traveler, and a fellow fan of continuous lear learning. So, Latoya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled. So, um, little side story, we met at OMG Labs, and it was through Canal and your favorite friend. Uh, Poonam Talati, his Let's wife. Let's give her a shout out yes, too. It, yeah. it connected us all. Yes. And so that's so awesome. But the first question I always ask my guests is what are five words that describe you and why? Um, five words that describe me. So I would say tenacious, persistent, um, a mentor. I love to tell stories. So storyteller, I think those are four. That's four. Um, what would be the fifth one? The fifth one would be, I am a big thinker. All yes. right. We're going with big thinker. Yeah. Okay. Is that two words though? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, compound <laughs> words are okay here. Okay. okay. Just so you know. All right. So you started with tenacious. Why that word? I think if you're going to do anything mean meaningful in life, you kind of have to have that don't quit you have to have that spirit where I'm just going to figure it out. Um, I think that's one of my superpowers. One of my strengths is just waiting through uncertainty, not giving up and just, you know, figuring it out. So uh, 
anybody who's worked with me and had had either the pleasure or the uh, the terror of working with me would probably say super tenacious. So I yeah. think it's a good thing. I, I think so too. Because again, like, I, I, you know, throughout my career, I've really been excited to work in, in environments where we were either changing processes. So at Catfinity, changing how you hire. And before then I worked at a consortium of higher education and the intent was to try to build a bridge, a tighter bridge between career to college. So if you're going to do anything that isn't the norm or isn't like the tried and true, what the status quo is, you have to be tenacious or you might as well not try. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned also persistent. Now, how, how do you think that's different from tenacious? The persistence means that, you know, you take three no's and you come back with a level of creativity or imagination or innovation. That's, that's a slight difference between never giving up and, but coming back at it, but not in the same way that you did your first, your second, your third, or even your 10th time. Mm -hmm. It's, It's how you, you sort of approach whatever it is you're trying to figure out. Yeah. Whatever the problem is. Yeah. Um, mentor. One of the things I, I've benefited from uh, being a first generation um, professional is really strong mentors, um, people who have had um, really good careers and, you know, were really generous with their time and their advice and their wisdom. And so I feel really strongly um, that mentoring is just a part of who I am, what I have to do. Um, so whether it is you work for me or um, I have a mentee, actually, um, she's a first generation college graduate now. because She graduated back in May. Um, so mentoring is just really, I think, really important because everybody deserves a shot. And not all of us have the same starting point and mentoring helps kind of level that out a bit. I agree. I love that you said mentoring because that's very important to me. Servant leadership is, and I've seen a correlation between peer and reverse mentoring. Your background being so deeply embedded inside of of learning and the whole HR process, recruiting, and you had mentioned onboarding. I just find that fascinating because that that's honestly one of the checks I was going, oh, I've got to have this woman on my show because <laughs> she's, she's in the HR space, but yeah. yet she's in marketing. And I think marketing and HR have a lot of parallelism. Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. Um, and I personally feel like I had a reverse mentor. I hired someone for uh, right at her first job out of college and um, just I'd never managed um, a Gen Z professional before. Just her approach to solving problems or even just uh, collaborating was completely different. And a lot of times I would be like, oh, I didn't quite see it that way. Mm -hmm. So I benefited, you know, sort of from just kind of um, that fresh eyes. Because that's the thing I think in marketing that you kind of have to constantly be testing and piloting and trying and looking at things with a fresh pair of eyes. And I mentioned this to you when we were getting ready to get, um, you know, to record today in that, um, you know, marketing during the pandemic, to me, I feel like I had a whole new uh, master's degree because the things that I had been told I had tried, uh, you know, I had successfully done prior to the pandemic mm-hmm. went all out the door. And we're, yeah. we're even though we're in this post-pandemic um, sort of period, it still has changed. And um, some of the tried and true best practices are obsolete now. And so you kind of have to kind of think about it in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's interesting that you had a Gen Z, you know, the one that comes right after Gen Z is Gen Alpha. 
Where was Alpha? We, we ran out of Z, Z, so we started over at the beginning, Alpha. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I'm curious to see what what are they all about? Where How are they seeing the world? Um, I think that we have to kind of make sure that there's a space for everybody to kind of have their perspectives. Mm -hmm. I'm a Gen Xer, so I feel like we're constantly like, Marsha, 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 nobody talks about Gen X. We're not cool enough to be Gen Z. We're not millennials because we're too old and we're not boomers, but we're just the smaller generation. But the more conversations that sort of, we should have to have more of those conversations. And I'm tending to listen a lot more to younger, the younger generation, because I'm just like, why do you think about it that way? Or how did you even get there? And maybe there's a lot of benefit in, again, just looking at things differently and trying to see if we can solve some of these things. Who knows? Maybe like Gen Alpha will figure out climate change or maybe I'm I'm hopeful, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, Have you ever heard of the fourth industrial age, the fifth industrial age? Are we in that right now? We're moving into fifth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, because you mentioned that, how did these Gen Z and, you know, Gen Y and, well, I guess that's you, but um, how do they see things in Gen X? They they see things differently. No, you're Gen X. Yeah. (laughs) Millennial Y. So they see things differently based on the fact that they were born with all of this technology at their disposal. So, you know, that it makes sense that they see things differently. Yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of being Gen Xers too, because we um, have a right between. Yeah. We have an orientation to to technology, uh, but we also remember rotary phones or like I was talking about Mm -hmm. before, like actually, you know, when you put a postcard in the mail and you put stamps on it and you wait. Um, so I, I think it's a, that sort of the tension between generations is, is, is valid because humans, but it's, that's where I think some of the secret sauce, some of the magic could happen in some of these big challenges that like we're trying to face in right now. Yeah. Things that define our, our lives, whether it was 9-11 or if it was COVID or, you know, just pick epic things that have happened in life and they're always around technology. Yeah. Or some big historical event. Yeah, and I, I think I read somewhere that Gen Z is a little bit more selective in their technology than um, previously we had we thought about that mm-hmm. they still value um, community and connection and oh, that yeah. type of thing. It just looks different to maybe how some of the generations prior to 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 them. I've read that did. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you had mentioned uh, storytelling. I love this fact. Yeah. Because I know before we even started interviewing, you had me really engaged in quite a few stories that you were sharing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I can see that about you. But you mentioned something that when you were a kid that people were always saying you were telling stories. So what kind of stories were they? Well, for the, the backstory to that is that I'm one, um, I'm, I'm one of six kids. Wow. Um, so bl- a big blended family and I'm the middle child. And we didn't necessarily have a lot of money growing up. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly creating these productions and I would force my siblings into roles. So, and more often than not, my sisters would, whether we were detectives or we were, uh, you know, on stage, we were, you know, superstars or whatever. We there was always some uh, creativity in my directing and storytelling. Um, and if I think about it now, too, just even as I've gotten into uh, my career, a lot of times when 
when I've faced like so like adversity or pushback or just complete outright resistance, stories sometimes really helps break a little bit of attention. Or they bring people a little bit closer to to each other. And so you can kind of um, figure out a different way to, you know, work and try to still like get to the end, end result. So storytelling for me has uh, used to just be out of necessity. We didn't have a lot of toys. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, and it was just fun. But now it's just become a part of sort of my approach to to work. Mm. So where does Big Thinker come from? That was your last word. Well, be, and I think this is because I've had very humble um, beginnings. I remember like I, I remember my stepfather saying, like, just because you don't have money doesn't mean that you can't still have a good life example would be like all the college applications that at the time they were so applying for multiple ones is just like, yeah, we may not have a lot of money, but if you want to try to go to these colleges, we're going to find it. And, you know, that was one hurdle and then paying for it was another hurdle. And so I just always heard like, just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean that you can't figure out ways to do the things that you want to. And so what that looks like is uh, um, I've I've worked in lots lots of different environments where you've had bigger marketing budgets or smaller ones. And in the last 10 years, those budget marketing budgets have come down smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. and smaller. And that's where the big thinking kind of comes in, in that if you kind of just take budget or the actual physical dollars off off the table, the creativity is actually free. Um, yeah. So what can we do? Like, like, let's think about what we're actually trying to do. And then we figure out the how we pay for it type of thing. Yeah, I like that. And I, I think that's a really insightful quote that you just uh, shared that you, you came from humble beginnings, but it doesn't mean you can't have a good life. Yeah, I love that. I actually didn't know we were poor until like we were I was in my 30s. I was just like, what? We were what? I thought we were yeah. just, I just thought we hate we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that that could be just because you guys did spend a lot of spend a lot of time together. But you yeah. had a lot of people in the house. A lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of my cousins were always around, my friends in the neighborhood. But yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. So where did you go to school? How did you get to where you are now? What's that story like? I um I graduated from Georgia State University in Atlanta um and I got my MBA from Hofstra University in um in New York out, out on Long Island. Uh and I think Georgia State was such a great experience, you know, over 20 some odd years ago. I just dated myself unintentionally. <laughs> um they Georgia State was actually talking thinking about career pathways and how do you get um, students, you know, high achieving or first generation, which which I am, how do you get them in to college and out and into jobs? And so I benefited from uh, being in a rotation program um, at, during uh, my time at Georgia State where I ended up at Turner Broadcasting. So um, I started my my first internship was at the Cartoon Network. I did a rotation. Oh, how fun. It was the best um, possible place to start my career. And I did a stint at Boomerang, which was the classic cartoons. I know more about um, cartoons than the average human being should, probably should. I know what was I, your favorite cartoon? Well, Scooby-Doo, obviously. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, you know, that, um, and you know, there was a, actually the original Scooby-Doo was really a really short run, um, yeah. but it's so well loved that most people think that it was on for years and years and years, but it really wasn't. 
Um, so I went into a rotation program there and had an opportunity to learn like the business, but the actual production side of, of television. So, and believe it or not, I had a, a mentor at, during my time at Cartoon Network where they were looking to bring on some new shows. And I actually pitched, I wrote a script um, for Interstitial, which was like a short, maybe two minute um a two minute sort of bumper between a, a actual program and a commercial break. And I sent it to the producer of, of a show that was on TNT or was uh, pitching for TNT. Uh, and he thought, well, first of all, who are you? You don't actually, you're not interning in my group and somehow you figured <laughs> your way throughout through the Turner web uh, and found me. And that's where the tenacity came in. And um, he passed along my script to a handful of other people and I ended up getting a full-time job, not necessarily on the show because it wasn't picked up, but I did end up getting a full-time job and a good run at, at Turner. And um, that small thing encouraged me to sort of, because uh, at the time I wanted to kind of get into the production side. I thought I wanted to get into writing for television and by him not rejecting that that interstitial um, it only encouraged me to keep doing it. And so I actually had, I went through my entire personal network and met a friend of a friend of a friend who suggested I should move out to California and really give writing a shot. And that was probably um, what I learned from that experience was that was good. But when I got out there, the person stopped re- <laughs> returning phone calls mm-hmm. and actually didn't uh, help me at all. So I think you had asked me like, one of what's one of those big lessons it was just like you know that was one of the first times I felt like super rejected and I felt like you know I had this idea that I was going to go out and do all these things that did not come um, into fruition but the experience I mean there was the experience of it all of moving from Atlanta which is where I graduated and started my career and moving to Los Angeles where I didn't know anybody um it was really, it was fun. It was frightening. Um, and I wouldn't change it at all, even with the, the fact that the person stopped helping or stopped re- uh, responding. Because uh, who knows why why that, why that things worked out the way it did. But it, it only encouraged uh, me to kind of give it a try and see where things landed. And what actually ended up happening was like during, during that time, um, I left a really good, comfortable like rotation at Turner and I ended up at a much smaller uh, company from again, kind of going through my network and have it, having explained like what had happened. And um, that's how I ended up going back to grad school. Cause I figured that I actually really did enjoy the creative side of the filmmaking business, but I did not enjoy the business of making films by any stretch of the imagination, but I enjoyed the um, the bit, the marketing, the finding an audience, developing and helping people, you know, find content that they really enjoyed. And that's what brought me back to um, grad school and how I ended up um, getting my MBA. Oh, very nice. All right. So you got all the way to Capfit. Okay. I'm just really curious. How did the name Capfinity come up? Because I'm going, that doesn't sound like anything in HR to me. It isn't, I don't take any credit for it as a matter of fact. Um, The reason Capfinity became Capfinity is that they were launching a company that had existed in Europe for 16 or so years under the name of Cap. Uh, It was an acronym. Um, It was started by two behavioral scientists. One was an academic. The other one was an actual practitioner. And the acronym was super academic. Mm. So they went from saying the full name, which I'm forgetting right now, um, to Cap. 
but when uh, the company looked to sort of expand into the U.S. market, there was al- already a company doing business as Cap, so they had to figure out another um, another name to sort of do business as. And the CMO, who was there for a very short time, came up with um, uh, Capfinity. Like the idea was, if you can bring behavioral science um, into how you hire and develop people we would probably be better off for an infinity. Um, I don't, I feel like this today was a stretch. I take no credit for it, but that was how they ended up with that weird name. Oh, that sounds kind of fun. And it ties into some of that cartoon network in a way. To infinity, that's what it's like. Yeah, no, I take no credit for it because for many years, people were like, where's that name even come from? But at least it helps. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's memorable. It's a good story too. Yeah. 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 So you're no longer with them. What do you think your future is going to be like? Where Where do you see yourself going? Um, well, I joined Catfinity. Um, this is another like indication of my personality. So I um, the shutdown happens, right? So the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I initially started having conversations about joining Catfinity, I think two months into the shutdown. So or three months into it. And I joined in January 21. Um, and I really wanted to try to help um, grow the business in the U.S. and in other the other growth regions. It really helped people think about hiring different, looking less at like your where you went to college or your GPA and really giving people a shot and looking at the behaviors, looking at your skills and how that could apply to some of the things that you're trying to do. Um, and so, you know, fast forward almost three years later, um, I'm really sick, really happy with what we were able to accomplish in terms of the brand awareness, in terms of really landing some great clients. And so I think where I go to next is probably going to be another company that's off, that's that really is rooting in trying to change how we either develop people, um, develop talent, um, or some other huge problem that um, that as a society will will benefit from um, through some enabling technology. So that's where I see. Um, I would agree with you on that one. I'm curious. Do you think that you know in this role of global? But are you really good at marketing messaging? Also, being able to take complex things and make it like five year old simple. That is that's another one of my gifts. Your because, superpowers. Yeah, I've um for the last. 12, 15 years, you know, there's engineers, product managers, people that spend their days and lives, you know, whether it's working on algorithms or the data science behind it, they're not the best at helping people in the marketplace get why you should buy this thing. Mm-hmm. That's why I know like for, for now into an eternity, I'll always have a job because I can list uh, that in order to be a really good storyteller, you need to be a good listener. You're right. Um, and to translate meaning and value to a, uh, to a consumer, to a buyer, you need to make it make sense for them and in the most simple terms. And so mm-hmm. that's all I do. That's whether that is through a marketing email campaign, whether it's through refreshing your your website, it's simplifying it so people get how it benefits them and how it fixes something that they're trying to to, uh, address. Mm, I really like this whole conversation. Hard to believe, but we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. 
Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So we're back to the second half of our show, but this is going to be a continuation of the first half. We're going to blow through that one a little faster because this woman is brilliant and you have to hear <laughs> what she has to say about the future of work. Okay, favorite quote that you live by? The, the My favorite quote is an Arthur Ashe quote and um, it's start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. I love it. I, I have from my first job out of um, college uh, up until my last day at Capfinity, I've always lived sort of by that mantra. So whether the marketing budget is this big or whether it's this little, what can we do? What is it that we're really trying to achieve? And, uh, and creativity is free. Um, and so that's 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 a, a quote that I really live by. And oh. I, I admire him. Um, creativity is free. That's true. I'm going to I'm going to be writing these things down here because you know what? They're, they're nuggets that are so good. It's yeah. a Latoyaism there. It's free. Ah, Latoyaism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that too. Okay. What is the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life? I, I talked about it a little bit before when that, you know, I had this vision of, you know, I had this really great opportunity and somebody saw what I was trying to do. And, um, but then I, I, you know, I faced the fact that, um, what I thought sort of that path on where, how it was going to work out um, professionally early on in my career wasn't, it it wasn't going to quite work that way. Um, and I think the hard lesson in that was um, that you sort of have to remain flexible and you mm -hmm. sort of have to take your lumps in life and pick yourself back up and, and kind of move forward. Yeah. Um, very true. What you think you want may not be the best thing for you. Yeah, not the time for it. And somehow it just, but you still have to find a way forward, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are you most grateful for? Oh, I'm so grateful for my family, um, the, the one that I was born into, and also my chosen family. So my good friends. Um, I, I feel really grateful um, uh, to have such a close network um, and community around me. Mm-hmm. What about um, who in your life has had the biggest impact? And you can name names if you want. So my mom and my auntie, Rena, who's no longer with us, but my mom has always been a big advocate for, you know, as a young woman, you should have a career. You need to have education. You need to go make your way in this world and make the choices um, and live with the choices that you make, but make your life the way that you want it. And my auntie Rena um, owned a, a, a beauty salon in the Bronx, and I just saw her running her own business. And um, she traveled a lot, and so I would get all these adventure. I would get her postcards of all these adventures um, that she had had, and she took me on my first international trip. And so I think between those two women, just kind of giving me that push and showing me that it was also possible, uh, they're they're where I get a lot of my inspiration from. Hmm. Very nice. I'm sure your mom, your mom's still here. Yes. Yeah. Well, then I hope she gets to listen to the show and know that she was mentioned. Oh, I will definitely. She loves this. Oh, I'll have to show her how to find it and, and play it for her. But, but she'll she'll love that. Yeah. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, I really want to be because mentoring is so important to me. Um, somebody who was encouraging um, and supportive of whatever big idea or big mission or thing that someone was trying to achieve. I, I want to be known for, for those two things. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the future of 2030 is going to look like? 
Um, 2030 is going to be probably just as crazy as 2023 is right now. Mm-hmm. We are like human beings. We're on the path to just make ourselves as crazy as possible. More enabling technology and all of the problems that we have right now um, will just look different, but it will be an exciting and probably frightening time as well. Mm-hmm. When you say enabling, I know that sometimes that can have a uh, kind of a negative meaning for some people, uh, because we, if we were being called an enabler, this was not a question that we discussed. So I'm throwing one out here. Uh, but I always hear uh, large companies, enterprise companies, they work with people enablement. And so what does that actually mean? Because I think it's an HR term. Yeah. I mean, I know it is an HR term, but I think it's really helpful for our audience to know it's not the negative enabling. Well, no, think about yeah. it like the light bulb. Um, you turn it on and you're able to do all these things. The light bulb enables reading, it enables other innovations. Uh, so that's where I think about technology. So whether it's a job simulation that gives a person a chance to actually try out a job before you mm-hmm. hire them so you can see what they would be like that's an enabling technology. Or if you think about it, young, um, you know, or uh, interns doing their rotation rather than actually um, going into a lab and maybe doing the those procedures on cadavers, doing it on, you know, um, whether it's simulated. Augmented reality. Uh, exactly. Reality. I, I think those are enabling technologies that help us at the end of the day, treat people um, in, in terms of a medical profession um, uh, more efficiently, better. Um, it helps us really get to what we're we're trying to achieve. So, from when I use enabling, it's just helping us kind of move faster mm-hmm. uh, and solve bigger uh, problems. I think that's a really helpful description because I know I've had uh, a couple of clients that have you know people enablement as part of their HR department, and so the student that I was talking with while well, they have this position. And I was having to explain it. I like the way you explained it also about how technology can enable us to be more, whether it's productive or whatever, to to do things in a different way. Um, I, I don't think that it's always seen as something that can be a positive. So I like the way you framed it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's so many things that um, even though like food production has all these in enabling technology, so mm-hmm. canned goods are safer, like we're no longer making them by hand for a reason mm-hmm. so that we're, you know, people aren't ended up with a botulism or something like that. So technology should help us move. We're doing things better, faster, mm-hmm. um, in a safer, safer, you know, way. I mean, I, I it, even the pandemic is a good example of how um, a huge problem caused like the medical and the sort of med tech um, scientist academics to sort yeah. of think of a problem like that. I feel, I mean, I think we also have some secondary trauma from living through that whole experience, right. but the fact that we were able to, as a society, look at something at that big find solutions to treat it and to get it out into the production and then into actual like use cases. We all had the vaccines or many of us did. Right. It, it That's in it. There are so many enabling technologies that supported that. You could think about video chats, right? So right. people were communicating across the country, video communications enable that some of the ideation of whether you shared um, algorithms or if it was, um, you know, sort of medical documents through like document sharing, all of those were enabling technology. So we had this, you know, so that we would get to this 
um, big solution, which is sort of how do we get out of um, being locked indoors um, with this weird, mysterious threat? Threat, that, yeah, that yeah, that there. was out there. Um, so there was hundreds of enabling technologies and people involved in in that whole mm-hmm. solution. Very true. So remote, blended, on site, flex work. What do you think it's going to look like in twenty thirty? I think I think it's going to be more hybrid, more blended. And the reason that has to be the case, well, two reasons. Um, We know that people can be productive without being in the same space. We we also know there's a benefit of humans being in the same space and sharing and collaborating. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, well, well, if we could allow ourselves to get past the, the conversation of remote work or in office work, but get to where what is it that we're trying to do? What What is it that we're trying to solve? And how do we do that? What parameters, what do we need to create that um, to harness that creativity or har- harness those solutions? That's where I think a blended work environment will, will come into play. And quite frankly, I mentioned that to you as well. Like many CEOs do not go to an office every day. Um, if you're a senior vice president of whatever, so your senior leaders, they're not in their offices every day. And now you have workers that are like, I, well, if you're not in the office every day, why should I? Mm-hmm. And a lot of what's even driving this, driving people back to offices has nothing to do with productivity. It has more to do with commercial real estate and long leases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Facebook just, I think, spent some ungodly amount of money to get out of one of their huge um, leases, but for, for the same reason, because they knew that their parts of their workforce were not going to go back into offices. So I think if if we could get to a point where we're really focused on what is it we're trying to do, I think blended environments are probably a much more, uh, a, a place that's going to be more productive for, overall for the future of work. Yeah, I can see conference rooms or being able to rent a room or sometimes maybe that might even be where the corporate retreat becomes, let's go to an office. And then we all have all of these breakout rooms and all of those things that could be something that could happen. Yeah. Rather than your offsite suits be like you're in office or something like that. Yeah. Um, and because this idea, like somehow you're more productive just because you're in an office, that there's no there's no science, there's no data behind that. Um, we all know that there are people that can that goofed off and that were the yeah. first ones in, but they spent most of their time just talking. Um, or you could still be sitting at a desk and doing not doing anything. So it's not the, the physical location that I think that's the the thing that we should be focused on. It's more of like how do we accomplish these things? What roles need to be together? Uh, and what roles can be distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the benefit of managing um, a distributed teams and you can still be productive. You can still hit your deadlines. You can still do really good work, whether you're in an office right. or, um, you know, uh, across, <laughs> you know, continents. Um, can you build relationships when you're in remote environments? Yeah, you, you absolutely can. But is there some secret sauce when you're together, you're sharing um, ideas in the same space, having a coffee? Absolutely. So that I think if we can figure out sort of a, a blended approach, that's what that's what the future of work should be going towards. Mm-hmm. I agree. What about AI? You know, what do you think? 
the impact that, you know, this year we saw it happen when chat GPT was launched, or maybe it was the end of last year. I think it was the end of last year when it officially came out. Um, you know, it was launched and there was a huge impact. And with with what you were saying about working remotely, we saw that change in the education system where teachers are having to figure out how do they do, how do they teach distance and how do they teach online, especially if it was a five-year-old or a, you know, a seven-year-old, those kind of ages are very, very, you know, so they yeah. need to be together. It's hard to be separate. So then you have AI and then we bring in other technology that's there to, to just change how we, we do research and how we write and how we produce work. Um, I know there was a lot of concern about it, but to me, it's just another way of looking what Google did. Google took all knowledge. We used to have something called tablets, and then we old school tablets, Moses. Then we went into <laughs> encyclopedias. That's yeah. a fast pace. Then we jumped into the internet. Then we jumped into Google, and now chat is the same thing, but just faster. Yeah. I, I think that um, generative AI is exciting. Um, I personally, as a marketer, um, made my team, um, we were piloting um, uh, projects using um, AI, uh, generative AI. And what that means, like, we, whether we were building a new web page, I was just like, I want to, I want you to figure out the terms. Um, and we use tools that we're using generative uh, AI um, to to help us build out the metadata for our, our new web page. And it worked. Um, you know, writing summaries um, for a press release or figuring out what, you know, outline for a blog. If you were ghostwriting for an executive, there's a lot of use cases for marketers that where it helps from a productive uh, productivity and really sort of time management. There's a lot of benefit to it. Um, I also think that we're at this really there an, an inflection point where we need guardrails um, because I think about AI um, and, you know, Hollywood has all the robots. They're going to come after us and kill us. I don't worry about the robots coming in and killing us, but I do worry about artificial, artificial intelligence and machine learning weeding people out of getting their healthcare benefits or maybe getting uh, the best rate for a a mortgage because of some blip or some uh, some algorithm that says that they they have predictive behaviors that they may default there 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 that's the things that keep me up at night i find those just the human the the human use cases things in the public sector public health uses that's where I, I, I worry about um, AI going awry and, you know, people not having access to things because maybe they're lower income or they're in a tax bracket where they don't have a strong voting block. Those are the things where I think that we need very strong guardrails and believe it or not, and I'm not the first person to say that you need laws for things, but we do need laws to prohibit bad acts, ba bad behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're at an inflection point. If we don't get our arms around it right now, it will go off the rails and who knows what things will look like. Because right now, generative AI is, is very much in its infancy. It's that a lot of the applications will spit back out, you know, things. Um, but over time, as more and more is fed into it, and there's more learning um, that it will become even better at some of these, um, some of the outputs. And 
But having said that, I just feel like that it really isn't, it's really important for us to put guardrails around I agree. It, um, now. Um, and what worries me is when I look at our politicians, uh, the things that they choose to talk about, this isn't one of them. And even if they were to talk about it, um, I don't know that they have the information um, to make good decisions about it. So how we, we but as a society, just as we're ta- talking about healthcare and the economy and jobs, AI should be a top of mind for us because it's one of it's at enabling technology that will impact your healthcare benefits, that mm-hmm. will impact how you get a bank loan or not. Um, and those are the things that I think about um, for as all the good that it can do and helping you do your jobs better, which I've benefited from. I, I've, you know, I've written tons of um, press releases between when chat was launched using applications that embedded generative AI into their um, solution. And I used it. So I, mm-hmm. I see the benefits, but I also think we have to get our arms around it right now. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I am all for that. I'm looking for the organizations locally that do that, that I can either be a part of or support, you know, if it's on a larger scale. I think uh, World Economic Forum has already started something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, Have to go and look that one up. But here's the thing that I, I think you pose a really good example of what could happen and can go wrong. So we have um, generative AI that can, you know, determine this is the profile of me, you know, and no, she can't go and have a mortgage because of this and this and this that showed up. And then I have to go and talk to a chat bot before I can get to a person. And And then who's to say that that actual person is really not a a higher level of another chat bot. So it becomes for me something that's out of black mirror. And I just go, Oh no. Yeah. There's, that's exactly right. The transparency aspect of it. Yeah. There's, there's no documentation of that. I mean, I think about another application where I think about this often because we live in Orlando, but traffic, like yeah. artificial intelligence could tell us how many more roads would be needed for the amount of people that are moving here. We would probably know that just straight roads are not the transportation solution, mm-hmm. that we need a mixed model of solutions. Those are the those are the things where like if we were to put our hands around it and think about the applications that could really benefit us, that would be one. But that's even even when you think about that, it's just like, well, where would the trains go? Would it go into certain neighborhoods? Would people be um, boxed out of transportation? Mm-hmm. These are the things that I think that that's where enabling technology and humans, if you put them both together, um, along with good regulation, that we could actually do things where people have a much easier um, way to get to, to work, mm-hmm. or that you could bring more industry in and out of Central Florida um, because there was better transportation um, options. So there's so many good things that could happen, but if we aren't feeding, um, like good prompts, good information into these tools, then the outputs is like garbage in garbage out. And that's a lot of what worries me is that there's not enough oversight and transparency on what that thing looks like. Stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Stewardship for sure. So, and there will always be people that go, well, it's in an encyclopedia. It must be true. It's on the internet. It must be true. Google says it. It must be true. Chat says it. It must be true. That isn't true. 
to no, me. No, absolutely Because there's not. bad information that goes into exactly. any type of source that we all use. And we need to remember that. But I don't think that people that are born into these generations come with that wisdom. I think it's like, you know, Google yourself, you know, yeah. and what do you see? If you see stuff out there and you know, it's not true then, or how many, how many Latoya Hodges are there out there? There's, there's a handful. I Google yeah. myself ever so often. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'll give you an example of earlier this week. I actually um, used a resume, a generative AI tool just to see what um, it, just so I could compare my current resume and what it would, what generative AI would spit out. And I was like, well, I would never use um, this, e- even in the way Some that of the it, language they yeah, use. I wouldn't use it because first of all, that's it. It, it, it sounds, doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like a marketing professional. It mm-hmm. sounds like a computer wrote this. And but that's what that looks like today. Maybe six months from now will be better. But the point is, it's just like, I know that because I'm a human, I'm looking at it. But um, I don't know that every person that looks at, out, you know, deliverables or maybe giving that level of um, oversight or even that critical sort of view on, well, is this right? Or is this sort of what um, should I take action based on this thing? And I, and I, I just think that that's, that's where... Um, we're at this real inflection point that there needs to be more conversation um, and socially, not just like legislature, legislators, but we're taxpayers. We should have a part of that conversation too. Um, I don't want people taken advantage of because, it, you know, something was produced with an AI tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want us to use technology so that we can get people um, into situations where their lifestyles are healthier or they're in safer in neighborhoods and technology, or they have a better, faster way to get to work, safer way to get to work. So there's so many things that we could do, but we kind of have to do it together, not in a vacuum and not some like super elite group of people in like 10 of the richest people in the world. That's a, that's a, Mm -hmm. we already know where that goes. I mean, there's enough cartoons where the cartoon villain is, is Mm -hmm. that guy. We don't need to do that, Um, but there's enough good people, smart people and technologies where we can do something really amazing. Those big thinking, uh, you know, ideas um, and really change our society for the better. You know, when you were talking about how you were using it to let's see what it could do for my resume. um, Most of this is something I used to teach 10th grade. So most of the things that people read, the average newspapers written on an eighth grade reading level. And Mm -hmm. so then I Googled, well, what is the Wall Street Journal? It's written on an 11th grade reading level. Uh, And so I feel like, yeah, I mean, I just looked it up. And so it's on the Internet. It must be true. But, (laughs) you know, I feel like to a certain level. Yeah, I'm sure that is true. Because you can have some very intelligent people Mm -hmm. that did not graduate from college, but they read on that level, right? Or they produce really thoughtful content. Um, So, but yeah. Financial terms and stuff. That's not like what you cover in in high school is what I'm thinking. But the, the point of that is, is that right now chat uses words that are so... I'm going to use this word superfluous. You know, they're just really amazing, just genuinely amazing big words. And you go, wow, what is that? But yeah, a human doesn't speak like that. We don't talk like that. Yeah. I forget, was it Walter Cronkite that used to say Mm. in uh, journalism, trust, but verify? I I think so. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. That's where we have to kind of get get back to in that 
um, you can listen to the news and I'm, I, because I'm old enough and I, I did go, I, I did take journalism in, in that whole vein in that you need to show proof. You need to have facts. It's not your opinion isn't enough. Um, to, you were right. It what see, Trust and ger- it, verify. It, it, trust, but verify. And that's where, that's what AI is missing right now. Yeah. Uh, we cannot. But that's tr- what humans are supposed to yeah. do. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. But where we ha- well, where where we are right now is that the engineers or the, the coders, the developers, they're the ones that are maybe writing the programs. But who's pro- who's who's doing the testing? Who's th- there needs to be more than just um, technologists creating these enabling technologies. You need social scientists. You need social workers. You need poets and philosophers also being a part of this collaborative experience so that we can do things in a much better way. Um, Oppenheimer was a really good movie, right? Do do mm. we not learn like just because we can do something that we shouldn't think through the right. consequences of just because we can doesn't, doesn't mean, mean we, we should. should. Um, and so th- I feel like what, cause when that movie came out, it was just like in all the generative AI, I was like, where was that discussion? about should we be doing this you know or what does it mean for a, a whole society what there wasn't enough dialogue but mm. we have the opportunity to do that now so we've covered the ethics question what is the best mentoring advice you want to pass on to our listeners oh i wish this wasn't true but you <laughs> learned a lot the the most from the things you fail at the biggest lumps the that's the the things that hurt um, your failures are where you get the most lessons. Um, they shape your your next steps. They shape how you uh, orient your your solutions, your way forward. But that's the biggest um, one. And year after year, <laughs> mistake after mistake, it's still true. No, oh, it is true. It is so true. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on our show. It was so fun. It went so fast. It did go so fast. But how can people contact you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Latoya Hodge. Uh, I'd be open to having conversations about AI and all the applications in marketing or just really interesting marketing, um, uh, solutions. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And just so people know, that's H-O-D-G-E and don't put an S on the end of it. So make sure you spell it correctly. Anyway, I want to thank you so much for being a guest. Oh, this is fun. It was so much fun, truly. And I look forward to having another conversation, hopefully over chai tea or oh, something. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Count me in. I'm not a coffee drinker, so yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video production and editing team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagat, and Julissa Hurtado. We also want to acknowledge our music composer is Charles Lawrence Lee. 